It's good to be able to be together this morning, and I want to say thank you to the worship team for, for leading us so well and, uh, and helping focus our hearts and our minds on, on Jesus this morning. And Lauren, uh, your, your introduction to that song, uh, I, I appreciate it because this song, that song actually connects well with what we're going to talk about this morning, but then it also made me think about something else, and that is the first time I remember us doing this song a couple weeks ago in a service, we had the kids in the service with us. And one of my kids looked at me and he said, I know that song because they do it downstairs. And he was so excited about the fact that they knew one of the songs and that's one of the things that I think we're trying to do a better job of is when we have some of the kids in from time to time is that they're understanding some of the songs we're singing and we're understanding some of the songs that they're singing. And all this leads me to say, I wanna pray right now for our kids ministry that's happening because there's good stuff happening right below us and sometimes we forget that it's happening. And so why don't we just stop what we're doing and just ask for God's blessing to be upon what's going on underneath us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you love us young and old. Lord, thank you that you love us uh, wherever we're coming from in the week, whatever week that we've had. Lord, thank you that you are with us. And Lord, this morning we especially just want to ask for your blessing to be upon our kids' ministry Lord, we're grateful for the volunteers that are down there and, Lord, for the amazing time that they're going to have with the tangents and the crafts and the activities and the conversations and the lessons. Lord, we know that you're in all of that, and we ask that you would use that to just implant a love for you in our kids. Lord, we are just so grateful for the, 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 these little people that you have entrusted us with. And Lord, would you help us just to be faithful um, in leading them towards Jesus. Help us, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Tim, do you want me to switch? Why don't we switch microphones? How about that? Okay. We had a plan. <laughs> we thought this might happen, and so we planned accordingly. That's good. That's a good thing. You know, as, uh, as Canadians, I, I like to think that, you know, we have a reputation of being pretty humble, right? We, is that a bad thing to think we have a reputation for being humble? Is that prideful? I, I, I like to think that we have a reputation for being uh, humble, uh, but get a group of us together and the topic turns to some of the silliness happening south of the border, and it, we can find ourselves looking down our noses at our neighbors to the south, can't we? In fact, it, it might be a bit of a pastime of ours to think of the ways that we are superior to our, our American friends for various reasons. And I think uh, this picture right here just came from, I believe it probably came from a McLean's article, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, you know, we, we've written articles like this. We've talked about this, right? We can think this way about a whole variety of things, right? Um, and you know what? I just want to talk just something that popped into my mind this week about one way that I, at various points in time, I thought, you know what? I'm better than they are. And that has to do with our history around racism. You know, at one point I would have said, you know what? Canadians, we're not racist because we didn't have the history of slavery that they did in the South. And unfortunately, as time has gone on, I've become aware that that's just simply not true. I mean, our history with our first peoples has not been good, has it? We've been learning about that the last couple of years. It has not been positive. And not only that, in Canada, we did have a practice of slavery. In fact, there were over 4,000 4, people of African descent were slaves in what is now known as Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, PEI, New Brunswick for a time. And we know as much as we might think, hey, that's all happened a long time ago. If we're paying attention, we realize that racism isn't a thing of the past. It's something that's a current reality and a current experience for various folks. 
Now, the thing about racism is that racism is a byproduct of some people believing that they are better than other people. You know, for reasons like ethnicity or color of our skin or religious beliefs or country of origin. You know, for various reasons, uh, we can come to the conclusion that we are superior to others and the result can be bias, it can be discrimination, it can be withholding opportunities, it can be avoidance, and even the blatant mistreatment of others. Now, as much as we know that racism is wrong, we know this, we need to acknowledge that the superiority complex that can lead people and societies to practicing racism is not foreign to us. In fact, on a daily basis, we might find ourselves looking around at the folks around us and saying, I'm better than they are. We don't say it out loud because we know better than that, but we might find ourselves looking around and looking down our noses at the people around us. And it can be true in our marriages. It could be among our peers at school. It could be our coworkers. And again, we know better to say it out loud, but if it's left unchecked, you know, if that attitude is left unchecked, we can start to think that we are better, that we are superior to some of the people that are around us. Now, the thing about this way of thinking is that it really removes us from being in meaningful relationships with others. You know, because we think that we are superior, we don't value the opinions, the insights, the experiences of others like we ought. Instead, other people can become inconveniences to us, getting in the way of what we want or not being worthy of our time, our energy, or our attention. Or there are people that need to be set right by us because, you know what, we've got it right and they don't. And in the process, we can miss out on some pretty good things that come with being open and willing to engage in relationships. And not only are we missing out, but when we come to a relationship with a mindset that we are superior to somebody else... The result will be that even if we have something good to offer, even if we have something that could benefit the person sitting across from us, that nobody's going to listen. They aren't going to be open to us because our posture is we're better than you. As we continue in our Lent series this morning, we want to talk this morning about how we can give up our ideas of superiority. And in the text this morning, we meet Jesus in a situation where culturally, it would have been okay for him to adopt a bit of a superiority complex for a whole variety of reasons that actually includes our conversation about race. But Jesus doesn't do this. Instead, he sets, aside, sets it aside for the sake of inviting one person to experience the life and love of the kingdom of God. And as we look at Jesus here, I think we are invited to follow his example. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 reflects on the life of Jesus and reflects on Jesus' example of setting aside his superiority and his privileges in order to serve others. He, he looks at Jesus and he says, follow Jesus. Do what Jesus does. And so our big idea this morning is that when we set aside our ideas of superiority, we are making room for good things to happen. We are making room for Jesus' things to happen. And so to help us with this this morning, we're going to look at a passage that might be familiar from uh, John chapter 4, and we're going to read uh, starting at verse 5 uh, to verse 15. So he, and this is referring to Jesus, G so Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given, his son, given to his son Jacob. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When, the, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And we'll just end there this morning. By way of a little bit of background about where we are in this passage, uh, it, it t- tells us that you know, Jesus and his, his disciples have ended up in a place called Samaria. And Samaria is the name uh, given to the land that's between Galilee to the north and Judea to the south. And if Jesus and his followers were traveling between these places, it would make logical sense to go through the area called Samaria. But the reality is that Jews would often not go through Samaria. They'd take the long way because it was not unheard of for them to get uh, violently beaten up. You know, they would face violence while traveling through Samaria. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. They were Jewish travelers traveling from Galilee to worship in, in Jerusalem. And it wasn't unheard of for them to face violence as they were traveling. And so often people took the long way. And as you read through the Gospels, we realize that sometimes Jesus and his followers took the long way. But here, this time, they elected to go through Samaria, and in the heat of the day, Jesus finds himself alone at a place called Jacob's Well, when along comes a woman. Now, I'm just going to pause there for a moment, because I, I want to show you I want to show you a picture. No one, you can put that first picture up. Um, and the, I'm going to ask you a question. What is wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? As far as I know, there's only one thing wrong with it. You can put aside the fact that a man smoking a pipe is not okay anymore in a picture. But, uh, you know, as far as I know, there's only one thing. And sometimes we see pictures like this in newspapers or online where you're trying to find a whole bunch of things that are wrong. But what is wrong with this picture? Anybody? James says shadow. It could be. I don't know. That's not what I had. Okay. Maybe there's a shadow that's wrong. <laughs> Anybody? All right, here we go. So what's wrong with this picture? Owen, you want to show it? All right, you have water coming out from underneath the bridge, but there's nothing on the other side of it. There should be water somewhere in the horizon there, unless it really does a really tight turn somewhere, but it should be back there. That's what's wrong with this picture. And the reason why I'm kind of highlighting this is as we look at the story, as we read the story uh, that we did, we should be paying attention to what's wrong with it because there's a few things, in a sense, that are wrong. And it's important to what we're talking about this morning, because you know what, the first audience, to the first audience, these things would have stood out, and noticing them can help us understand what it is that we're talking about this morning. And our first point is that we set aside our ideas of superiority when we genuinely engage others, and noticing what's wrong helps us see this point. You know, for a start, Jesus was known as a holy man who was leading a movement to bring Israel back to God. And in that culture, many devout Jewish men would not have allowed themselves to be alone with a woman. And if it was unavoidable, they certainly would not have entered into conversation. 
The thought was that there was too much risk uh, for impurity, like you might somehow stumble and fall into some sort of immoral situation or something like that, so they would avoid it. And yet right here, what do we see Jesus doing? Jesus speaks to her. He stops. He has a conversation with her. And if we skip down to verse 27, we actually see that when his disciples show up, his disciples are like, oh, what? this is weird. This shouldn't happen. The second thing that's wrong with this picture is that this woman is a Samaritan. And ever since the Jewish, some of the Jewish exiles had come back from Babylon, there had been a conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were some of the folks who had opposed their return. And so sometimes these, this opposition uh, resulted in actual violence. Um, but for sure, it involved the, the two groups not mixing. The Jews wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. They thought that the Jewish people thought that they were superior and that the, the, the Samaritans were inferior, and so they wouldn't have interacted with one another. They would have deemed them outcasts. And one of the things that they really wouldn't have done is they wouldn't have shared eating and drinking dishes with them. And yet, Jesus asked this woman for a drink. He essentially says, hey, can you pass me your water bottle? I want to take a sip. That's wrong. That would have stood out as being wrong. And the last thing that's wrong is this woman's reputation is clearly not positive. You know, the normal time for a woman to, to visit a well would have been at a much cooler point of the day. It wouldn't have been at the heat of the day at noon, likely first thing in the morning or later in the afternoon. Um, and this woman shows up at a time when she is least likely to bump into anybody who knows her and knows her story. And if we keep reading, we realize Jesus knows her and he knows her story and he chooses to engage her anyways. And in case we're tempted to think, hey, maybe we're reading too much into these details, take a look at what the woman says to Jesus in verse 9. She says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? To her and to the others who would show up later, everything about this picture is wrong. It shouldn't have happened. There's too many reasons why this interaction shouldn't be happening, and it was confusing to her. But this forms the beginning point of a life-changing conversation for her and for many others. Now let's just pause here for a moment and just think about what would have happened if Jesus had leaned into the social norms that would have had him considered to be superior to this woman. What would have happened? Well, she would have come to the well and either Jesus would have gotten up and left immediately or he would just have ignored her, would have pretended she wasn't there at all. And it would have been, an, and you know what, nobody would have blamed him if he did either of those things. It may have been socially awkward, we might think, like somebody walks in the room and you immediately leave, that's awkward in our society, or somebody walks in and you don't even talk to them, that for us that would be awkward, that would have been acceptable for, for Jesus. And so if Jesus had done either of those things, nothing would have happened. But that's not what we see Jesus doing. In fact, if we've gotten, made time to get to know Jesus at all, we're not surprised by what we see Jesus doing here. The Gospels seem to consistently have Jesus crossing socially accepted barriers and engaging with those people in ways that seem genuine and in ways that don't seem to be condescending. And I think that's what we see Jesus doing in this passage. Now, as we reflect on this, I want to give us two questions to chew on this morning. And the first is, how do, how do we find ourselves believing that we are superior to others? How do we find ourselves believing uh, that we are superior to others? Or sorry, who do we find ourselves believing we are superior to? And how can we genuinely engage others as they are? 
Now, we could go really high level on this, and we could talk about societal things like race or class or other big things, but instead I want to I keep it on the personal level here because I think some of us have allowed ideas and feelings of superiority to take hold in some of our closest relationships because it can happen. Maybe we look at our spouse and the lens that we see them through is through their shortcomings and how they don't live up to our expectations. And so what creeps into that relationship as a result is bitterness or resentment. Or maybe it's in how we interact with our extended family. You know, we find, we find ourselves judgmental of the life decisions that somebody else is making. We wouldn't do it that way. And so we find ourselves thinking less of them as a result. We don't take them as seriously. We, we start to just kind of demean them in our thinking. And that seeps into our actions and our attitudes and our approach to them as well. Or maybe it's at work. You know, there's that, that dumb guy named Rick from accounting. Why can't they just be as, as, as organized as us? Like, why can't they have their act together? And so we actually start finding that we, we don't value them like we ought to as a member of our team. You know, as we, as we look to Jesus, we see him not holding on to the idea, any ideas of his superiority. And you know what? He could have. He's God. Instead, we see him choosing another way. And to the, to the shock of everyone, Jesus stays put when this woman comes to the well. And, and not only that, he chooses to engage her. And we're going to talk about the invitation that he gives to her in just a few minutes. But it starts with him seeing her as she is and engaging her as a person who is worthy of being engaged with. And I wonder if that gives us something to chew on as we consider are the relationships that we have with others on a daily basis. Now, there's something about a superiority complex that can cause us to be withholding. Now, to go back to our opening conversation about racism, when one group starts to begin that they are, believe that they are better than another group or they're superior to another group, it doesn't take long to start justifying withholding good things uh, from somebody else so in, in withholding good things that, in ways that otherwise we might say are, are wrong. I mean, those people aren't as good as us, so they don't deserve the same opportunities. They don't deserve the same privileges that we do. And as drastic as that sounds, I think that can creep into the, our relationships as we, when we find ourselves looking down on others and not valuing them uh, as worthy as the same good things that we are. And so a question is, what can we do about this? And this leads us to our second point this morning, that we set aside our ideas of superiority when we offer ourselves to others. The reality is that Jesus does have something to offer this woman. We see this as he turns the conversation around and he tells this woman that she should be asking him for a drink. Now the phrase living water that Jesus uses here is a phrase that was regularly used in, in Jesus' day for what we might call running water. Water in a stream or water in a river rather than water in a pool or in a well. It referred to water that we might consider to be fresh water versus water that might, we might say is standing or stagnant. But here, Jesus is using this term living water, and he's got a double meaning because he isn't just talking about physical water and whether or not this water is moving or not. That's not what he's getting at. Rather, he's referring to the new life that he is offering to anyone. And you know what? This conversation shows that this offer is not limited to those with the right gender or the right racial background or the right moral history. It's a message of grace and freedom that is for anybody who would take him up on that offer. 
And the way that Jesus talks about this living water makes it clear that it's not just about water. The metaphor here of running water is, is to get us thinking about something more. It's to point us towards something. That not only will what Jesus is offering quench your thirst or you know, meet your needs so that you won't thirst again, but it will become a spring of life that is bubbling up inside of us so that it refreshes us and brings about the new life that God has sent Jesus to give us. Now, admittedly, the imagery here is a bit puzzling, but it's enough for this woman. She doesn't know everything, but she knows enough. She's catching on enough that she wants what Jesus is offering. She doesn't know exactly what he's talking about, but she wants to know more. And the reality is that she's likely in for a shock. But all of us, you know, as we've decided to follow Jesus, have likely run into a moment or two where we realize that what it means to follow Jesus takes over all of our lives in ways that we never thought was possible. And so, you know, she can't possibly know it all, just like we can't possibly know it all right up front. But she wants to know more. And you have to give her credit for responding and say, tell me more about this. I mean, she could have easily said, like, hey, we don't talk. We don't mix here. I'm leaving you over here, and I'm going to go do my own thing. No, we have to give her, you know, give her uh, just credit for the level of faith and the receptivity to respond to this stranger, the strange Jewish man who sitting beside a well. There's something there. Now, as we reflect on what we've talked about here, I want to, I want to think about, you know, I want to make two points that kind of go in two sort of separate directions. And the first is the reality that we are each invited to accept Jesus' offer of living water. You know, some of us here this morning, I think, can find ourselves identifying with the woman at the well. Because if we're willing to be honest, our lives feel like they're kind of a mess. Um, we feel rejected by people. We maybe aren't really sure where we stand in relationship to God. We have doubts. We have fears. We, have, we kind of feel alienated. We feel on the outside. And there's things maybe in our past or maybe even in our present that we aren't too proud of. We might be feeling a whole lot of shame. We might find ourselves really identifying with this woman. And for those of us who are feeling this way today, I want to invite you to see how Jesus interacts with her. See, while he's honest with her, he's not withholding. In fact, he chooses to engage her in ways that very few other people would. And so let me say that, that this is God's disposition to you, God's disposition to me, God's disposition to all of us this morning. That he loves us, and his love for you is not conditional on, uh, on what we've done and you know, our backgrounds, what our families have done, what, you know, the mistakes that we've made this week. God's love for you is unconditional and it's so big that he wants to give you this spring of living water, this spring of eternal life that would, that would be deep within us, that would result in, in God's healing and God's wholeness and God's purpose becoming a part of who we are and just how we go about life. And some of us need to consider accepting that offer today. Whether that be for the first time, or whether it's something that we do all over again because, well, we've kind of forgotten. We've kind of lost sight of that. And just like the woman at the well, we won't have it all figured out. But then, you know what? There's something about this offer that speaks to our hearts where we're at right now. And if that's kind of tugging on you this morning, let's not ignore that. Rather, let's lean in and find ourselves saying, Jesus, I want that. I want to taste that. I want to know that. Help me. 
Now, our second point kind of goes in a, in a bit of a different direction, and that is to consider how we can offer what we have to others. You know, as Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew 10 about what they are to go and do as he sends them out into ministry, he says this. He says, freely you've received, freely give. See, as followers of Jesus, there's a sense that, that what we have is not simply just for us. Instead, Jesus teaches us to be open-handed with the things that we have. And when we do this, what we're doing is we're creating space for good things to happen. You know, when we are open-handed with our experience, when we are open-handed with our abilities and our wisdom, maybe even the things that we own, and most importantly, our presence, when we are open with these things and when our attitude is that we are willing to share, what we are doing is we are making space. We are creating opportunities for good Jesus-like things to happen. You know, sometimes our desire to grow, though, uh, to help others doesn't, doesn't always come from a good place. We need to acknowledge this because sometimes it actually comes uh, from a place of pride or, or superiority. Sometimes we have a bit of a hero complex in our, in our desire to help people. It's really about us more than it is about others. Um, and so our attitude of sharing matters. You know, the reason why we share is because of Jesus, We've experienced Jesus' love and his generosity directly, and indirectly we've experienced it with, the op- with how other people have been open-handed with what they have in our lives, and we've, we've discovered love and grace and forgiveness in, in ways that, that just blow our minds, and, and we have found people resources who have been able to help us in our life that otherwise you know, we, weren't, we wouldn't know what, we do, what to do if they hadn't been there. You know, we've been the beneficiaries of how God has been a part of our lives, the good things that God has given us. And so we are to follow his lead. And when we follow his lead, good Jesus-like things happen. You know, in this story, the woman responds to to Jesus' offer. And not only does she respond, she then goes back to town and she brings a whole bunch of other people with her. You know, it's not just a story about one person being impacted, but because one person heard Jesus, she went back and she brought a whole bunch of other people and a whole group of people from her village uh, believed that day. All from a people group that Jesus' uh, own people would have considered to be not worthy of good things. And while the focus of this point could be on setting aside our ideas of superiority for the benefit of others, I think we also need to recognize that it does something for us too. You know, when we set aside our ideas of superiority, when we live open-handed in our relationships with others, we find that we receive so many good things, as we've already noted. You know, a posture of humility and generosity can lead to being open to the, the influence and the experience of other people in ways that we might otherwise have closed ourselves off from. You know, when we live out our ideas of superiority, we miss out on a lot of good things. And so I want us to keep in mind that the kingdom of God The kingdom of God grows through real-life relationships. You know, when we set aside our ideas of superiority, we are making space to see the life and love of God and his kingdom grow in us and grow in others. You know, as as I close this morning, I want to make one last observation. You know, over and over again, Jesus shows us what what it looks like to be focused and what it looks like to be focused on the kingdom of God and put the kingdom of God first and foremost in, in, you know, live that out and let the kingdom of God shape who he is, what he does, and how he interacts with others. And this uh, kingdom-shaped priority, you know, it's something that he passes along to his followers. He tells us to go about the work of the kingdom. He, he tells us to pray that the kingdom of, uh, of heaven would be on earth as it is in heaven. And he, he tells us to be a, that we get to be a part of that. 
And so as we close this morning, as we sing our final song, as we pray here, we are invited to ask God to strengthen our vision for his kingdom and, and to, invite it to invite God to make that real in our own lives, both for us, but also for the sake of those that we get to be in relationship with this week. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, there are so many things that we can reflect on uh, from this passage, Lord. Lord, we are, are just grateful for how this story reminds us of how you go and you, play, you put yourself in places where, where people, you know, assume that you are not going to be. Lord, I'm sure that this woman went out that day hoping and praying that she wouldn't bump into anyone, Lord. She was living a life where she was avoiding contact because of the judgment, because of her past, Lord. She just wasn't hoping to bump into anybody that day. And yet, God, that's where you were. Lord, that shows us something about who you are and what you are about. And we're grateful for that. Lord, for some of us today, we are in a place where... Um, if we're honest, we're kind of avoiding you and we're trying to avoid others, Lord, because we aren't sure what we think about ourselves. Lord, would you meet us in those places of loneliness, alienation, fear, shame, doubt? Lord, would you show up there and Lord, would you remind us that you, that how much you love us and invite us to be a part of what it is that you're doing. Invite us to experience your life and your love. Lord, for others of us, as we go about our daily lives, we, we need to be mindful of how our relationships matter. Lord, that in our, our, our relationships at home or at work or at school, God, that these are all opportunities for your kingdom to grow. And so, Lord, would you help us to be people who are open-handed with the things that you've given us? Lord, would you help us to be people who are full of love and, and, and grace and, Lord, that are, are just you know, cheering other people on, Lord? And in the process, it is our hope and our prayer that, that, our, our, that those we come in contact with would see glimpses of you and what you are really all about. Lord, so many of our friends, so many of our family members have these ideas about you, and they see you in, in ways that are, that are defined by judgment and anger. And God, we have opportunities to undo that just in our, ministry, our presence with one another. Help us, God. Lord, as we close our service this morning, as we prepare to go into a week that's in front of us, you know, we're going to have opportunities. We're going to have challenges. Lord, would you just help us to, to see you? Help us to slow down and to, and to look for you. And God, may we experience you just empowering us for whatever it is that we're going to face. In your name we pray. Amen.